The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Film Show. I'm Henry Barnes, I'm sitting in for Zan Brooks. In a week that sees the release of a new version of Great Expectations, Zan's gone off to try and find his own mysterious benefactor, who's left him an endowment of unimaginable riches. Not one, not two, but three copies of Gambit on DVD. Coming up on this week's show. Sex, death and mobile homes. Steve Oram and Alice Lowe cut a lethal swathe across Britain's best-loved tourist attractions in Ben Wheatley's sightseers. Mads Mikkelsen plays a nursery school teacher fallen prey to the pack in director Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt. And several centuries of fairy tale folklore get a booting by a kung fu Easter bunny from DreamWorks animation Rise of the Guardians. Now the nights are drawing in, we've gone into mourning for the death of the sun. What better way to beat this implacable November weather than a new version of a Charles Dickens classic? Mike Newell's adaptation of Great Expectations is out in cinemas this Friday, and we went to meet the director and its star, Jeremy Irvine. Who are you? Why, why, why? Shh, 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 why? How did you get in here? goes from a sweet-natured uh, person when he's he's little and a decent-natured uh, person when he's uh, 19, when you first meet him, and he's beating at hot iron, um, to somebody who is cruel and ruthless uh, and get out of my way. Look, if you're grateful for me for what I did as, as a boy, <laughs> it's, it's not necessary. Really, you, you must understand. What must I understand? That I cannot renew our acquaintance. That my, my life has changed since then. Now, I'm glad that you're well and you've repented, but really, you, you must go. Please? The last period movie was, was in 1946 of this story, and, uh, you know, that was, that was very much kind of of that period, and we wanted to kind of bring back that kind of that raw... Sexy yeah, the funny thing yeah. about the, about that, about the 1946 movie, is that you know John Mill of course John Mills is a gent. Yeah. What John Mills sort of isn't, although he's a very good actor and he gives a very, uh, a very good performance, but he isn't uh, a blacksmith. Will you never take warning? How can you do it, Estella? What? Give your affections to that man. All sorts of ugly creatures hover about a lighted candle. Can the candle help it? Oh, but you can. Perhaps. If I cared. But you must care! Why do you think so many people want to father him, considering he does become quite a brutal character? It's a big thing in the book, and I think it's a big reason that, that uh, the, the book is so identified with Dickens personally, it's a personal story, is that you can see this, uh, you can see a decent person corrupting themselves by, by uh, false notions. And trying to be sure don't yeah. do that, don't, don't do that, oh Christ, he did it. Mike Newell and Jeremy Irvine there. Joining me now are two people who know what it's like to be flung into high society. It's uh, Guardian film critic Peter Bradshaw and our film fellow. editor Catherine Short. <laughs> Peter, um, great expectations, but did it meet yours? 
It sort of did, uh, and I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I thought it was a very decent, uh, competent, robust, and workmanlike adaptation, and that nothing damns it with more <laughs> praise than that, does it really? That good. I thought it was a really likable, attractive piece of work. I really liked Jeremy Irvin. I thought, it, it, when you think how awful he was in War Horse, but that was sort of not his fault, I just thought War Horse was so kind of treacly and awful. And this was pretty decent, and it shows that he is a perfectly good lead to play this. I wondered why it was we were hearing hearing it all again. I mean, it's great. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of uh, of uh, Pip being beastly to Joe Gargery uh, and, the, and being snobbish to him and the awful toe-curling embarrassment of that. Things like that are just deathless. I, I can't get enough of them. But why do we have to hear it again, especially as the film seems to be making a bit of a virtue of the fact that it doesn't have anything radically new to say about it, I don't think, unless I'm as Catherine thinks it does. I, I, I thought it was good, and I, I will I'll sit and watch it perfectly happily. I thought there were some very nice cameo turns in it. I liked Sally Hawkins, who's just born to be a kind of Dickens player, uh, and David Williams as Mr. Pombachok, I thought was very good. So I thought it was good, but I wondered why it was we were hearing about it again. What's the point when people like the BBC with their, uh, their version of Bleak House, which was so kind of radical and, and strong, why do this, uh, uh, why do this now? Why, why do it if, if you've really nothing new to say, I don't think. Catherine, can you answer that question? I mean, Mike Newell's talked about this being his um, sexy version of Great Expectations. Did you feel any of that? I didn't feel sexy. I didn't, I didn't feel it was sexy and I didn't feel sexy watching it. I felt the opposite of sexy. Um, and I don't know why they've done it again. I mean, one sort of depressingly, I suppose, thinks that maybe because of the money and the selling of it. Christmas. Christmas, lovely Christmas. Mm. I've got to disagree with Peter, actually. I mean, I just didn't... I sort of thought it was solid in the sense that this sofa is solid, but it didn't have the sort of beauty and uh, and you have this sofa. Yeah, this sofa. <laughs> um, I, you know, the thing about Great Expectations is it, you know, he wrote it as a cliffhanger. Every single thing is a cliffhanger, and this just irons them all out. And there's no soapiness, there's no tension. Uh, I thought, and I didn't think that those cameos were great. I thought Sally Hawkins wasn't kind of wasn't horrible enough to be Mrs Joe and I didn't think that Williams was funny enough to be Pumblechook and everything sort of disappointed me about it really and I thought Jeremy Irving was you know I know Pip is as you say in your interview meant to be a bit of a little ship but what you know he was just completely dull as well he just and also all those scenes of him welding where he's kind of hunky he's too pretty he did to a lot of training for that you know trained mm. as a blacksmith really yeah it's, he's not he's no day lewis though is he really i mean <laughs> do you think i mean part of the problem is that it's got quite big boots to fill in terms of david lean's 1946 version yeah yeah even the ethan Hawke version i mean you know this this doesn't really do anything it doesn't have romance either it doesn't have camp and it doesn't have romance and you're desperate for something like you know helen bonham carter as havisham for years you know you're thinking oh great that sounds fantastic and actually she's less kind of havishamy than she is in normal life do you wish to see miss havisham let me look at you come closer what do you think of her i think she's very pretty Time now for Ben Wheatley's Sightseers, about a couple leaving the rat race for an idyllic country holiday slash killing spree. The Guardian's Paul McInnes went down to meet the co-writers and stars of the film, Steve Oram and Alice Lowe. There will be blood and pencil museums. Yeah, good girl. You are going to pick that up. 
I didn't do that. If you don't pick up this excrement immediately, then I'm going to have to inform the National Trust. Report that to the National Trust, mate. What struck us when we were doing our research into serial killers was how they were quite, on the surface, quite adept socially and quite, you know, had lots of friends, some of them, you know, Fred West and people like that, you know, helped people out and then did awful things in their spare time. Say one word and it's... I get it, it's just thinking outside the box. I went camping in the 80s because in those times it was a recession and people weren't flying abroad as much and going on holiday, they were going camping. And I think, in a way, that's come full circle now that, you know, there is a sort of uncertainty about the future. And we definitely wanted the characters to sort of re reflect that, a sort of uncertainty about what the future is going to bring, about changing Britain as well. I think, you know, Chrissy's character especially has lots of concerns about, oh, the country's going downhill once we were a proud nation. and They become know, barbarians again. Yeah, it's like a almost, Paleolithic. You know, couple. <laughs> yeah, they sort of go back to basics, we, and that's possibly a feeling that people are having at the moment. You know, with with you know how the you know the global downturn and how the, the you know, it's 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 time to get back to basics. You don't have to kill people, mate. We're not saying <laughs> that, but you know, Catherine, I thought there was quite a lot to love here. I mean, the the scenery, the dialogue, the knitwear, absolutely, and the love itself. It's actually a very romantic and touching love story, and, and sort of weirdly realistic. I know that it all takes place in this in this quirky. Britain tourism thing but you know I haven't seen a more realistic film about being on holiday in the north of Britain for quite some time um, a few a few <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, no I thought this was a great film and I'd, I you know I'd been sort of uh, anticipating a bit of a disappointment actually for various reasons which we may well touch we on in a minute <laughs> <laughs> we'll but no yeah. god it's so funny I mean just I really loved it and it's really bears up to second viewing too and it, it's just absolutely delightful I I loved, I must put in a word for the mother, who um, who isn't getting a lot of press for this, but she's so funny. The film just opens with her groaning in this um, in this mid-level way. And she's, oh, I just adored this film. And Alice Lowe's character plays a kind of daughter who's very put upon by this mother character. Yeah. And as soon as they go away, <laughs> mum's up and about and making a cup of tea. Yeah, and, and, f and faking the um, and, falling yeah. down the stairs. No, I thought it was great, but uh, PT weren't such a fan. I'm not at first, no. In my uh, ill-natured and curmudgeonly way, I'm sorry to say, I was, uh, well, I didn't dislike it, but I was a bit cool about it because I thought that it, for two reasons, one of which I didn't, I didn't think it was as good. And I have to say, I still don't think it's as good as Wheatley's earlier film, Kill List. I don't think it's as unclassifiable and as original and as interesting as Kill List. And I thought there was times when I thought this is a very good Chris Morris sketch, which would run for 10 minutes. But I felt sometimes that it was being stretched out. But on a second viewing, I have to say, those whinging objections were sort of basically blown away when I thought, no, for God's sake, Steve, Orrim and Alice Lowe are brilliant in this. They are just brilliant, effortless convincing real actors and their performances are just they're like they're nothing else you can see around in the cinema at the moment really they just utterly inhabit their roles in a, almost an eerie way and they are just brilliant and also I think my what I would describe rather poncily as an auteurist comparison with Wheatley's earlier film is I think slightly wrong because they own this film much more than Wheatley's earlier films because they, you know this was their idea they developed it they developed it as a TV pilot they took it to Edgar Wright and then they brought Ben Wheatley on board. And Ben Wheatley brought his own directorial touch to it, undoubtedly. Um, 
I, I th and now I, I agree with Catherine. I think I do think it's brilliant. Uh, the only thing I again, I'm a little bit bemused and tiny a bit irritated by the hype around the film, which says oh, it's so laugh out loud, funny. It's so romantic. It's so funny. It's so cool. And it it sort of is, but it's not laugh out loud, funny. It's creepy and disturbing. It's more yeah, it's more queasy grin to yeah. be honest with you. So I think it's been slightly wrongly pitched, but a really really good film, which to my I'm afraid to my own disquiet, I didn't properly appreciate the first time around. Right, well they've only got two spots left. One by the Dingley Dell and one by the Bugs. He's going for Dingley Dell. Chris, I want Dingley Dell. I'm going to get this bloody Dingley Dell. Can't we go oh, around just them? Just hold on, I'm going to do it. Go we'll around them. Go around. Go that way. I will. Just go, wait there. Just wait go there. around just, it. Okay, hold on. Oh, oh Chris! Fuck you! I am the best. Get in. Steve Oram and Alice Lowe in Ben Wheatley's Sightseers there. Now it's time for something more serious. It's time for the hunt. It's what's not said in Thomas Vinterberg's icy drama that makes his film truly frightening. Mads Mikkelsen plays Lucas, a nursery school teacher who refuses to speak up when accused of sexual assault by one of his pupils. Director Thomas Vinterberg won't let you look away for a second. Peter, the kind of the popular view, perhaps the unkind view, is that uh, Vinterberg's career has been in the doldrums since Feston. Is that fair? And is this a comeback? It is an absolutely storming comeback. I thought it was absolutely terrifically good. Um, it's about a wrongful accusation of child abuse. And it's as straightforward as that, in a way. I, when I first sat down to this film, I thought, is it going to be ambiguous? Are you supposed to think halfway through, oh, God, maybe he did it after all? But no, that's not, that's not the point. And these aren't spoilers because it's right up front from... From the, from the first minute, this is not what the film's about. It reminded me of Straw Dogs, in a way. It has the same really creepy, oppressive, unbearable atmosphere. Uh, and it's, I, I say, it's a little like Lars von Trier, but without the facetiousness, without the kind of ha-ha, I'm just, I'm just having you on thing that, the, that Lars would probably do to you. It's done with absolute seriousness. It's, and it's photographed brilliantly. It really is very good. Catherine, Peter's right in saying that it's, it would be quite easy to make this kind of material quite schlocky or even soapy. I mean, do you feel that in the film or do you think it's kind of handled well enough to, to get by? I think no. I mean, it's absolutely brilliantly done and, and, and that's partly because it's so well performed, not just by Mads Mikkelsen, but by the little girl who plays the little girl, mm. who's just astonishing, actually. And I mean, without, with a less convincing, with a less interesting child, I think it would be a different kind of film. Apparently, Thomas Vinterberg was saying that um, he wanted to make it so that you were obviously feeling for Mads Mikkelsen's character, but also could understand why the little girl had said what she did, which I think he succeeds in doing. He's also said that people have turned against um, Kara's character, Carla's character, which I can mm. see as well, yeah. that you start to think, you know, you're sort of a little Damien character yeah. in your own way. <laughs> oh, she does. I mean, she yeah. looks like the kids from the village of the dad. I mean, she really does. One of the brilliant things about this film is that nobody is allowed to be the baddie, and you can really sympathise with every single person. You don't really think that anybody is totally bad. You don't look like you. I don't. Agree. I don't. I think it's partly about people's enjoyment of a witch hunt and, and enjoyment of coming together against a, 
and, and, and enjoyment of scandal. Enjoy, I, you know, I really got that sort of bloodlust for, especially in the scene in the supermarket. And, yes, and okay, yeah. People that, love to feel outraged. And, and, I got and that. I got that from the, just the, the, the sort of the people who work in the supermarket, yes. But for the rest of the wider community, especially the people that knew him, I didn't get any sense that they were enjoying the scandal or, or luxuriating it in any way. I got the impression that they were that they were forced to do it, they didn't want to do it, but that they were going to submit to the irrational compulsion of the herd. But I didn't get the sense that they were like the ending of The Wicker Man or anything, that they were, they were turning ugly in that sense. One thing really that really great. frustrated me about it, though, was the fact that Mads Mikkelsen's character never really speaks out for himself until that key, key moment. And I did find myself kind of, you know, wanting to claw at the screen and be like, just say something. Just say, defend yourself. Or, yeah. or is that part of, of the I can believe the that, though. Yeah. I can believe that somebody in that situation would be too stunned. They would think that saying anything at all is sort of an admission of guilt. They don't want to go down that road and sort of get themselves further and further mired in this accusation. I can well imagine that you would, be, you would, you would freeze. You would go into a kind of catatonic state almost, then you wouldn't defend yourself. I can well imagine it. Skal vi to bare lige sidde her vågne lidt, ikke? Mor, er I sure på Lukas? Nu sidder vi bare her lidt skidt, ikke? Han har ikke gjort noget. Det var bare mig, der sagde noget dumt noget. Og nu er alle børnehaven også begyndt at tale om det. De siger alt muligt. Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt, a film that comes to a head on Christmas Eve, but for all its genius, couldn't be any less seasonal. For that, we need something with a lot less grit and a bit more fairy dust. It's Rise of the Guardians. We go by many names and take many forms. We bring wonder and hope. Fairy tales assemble in a story about a plucky gang of folklore heroes who posse up to take on an evil bogeyman spreading fear across the globe. With the Tooth Fairy, Father Christmas and the Easter Bunny in the good corner, I don't fancy bogey's chances. And our powers are greater. Peter, there's a lot in this film about the idea of wonder and not yeah. being too cynical and keeping your eyes open and your heart ready to take in anything that I know, is there I know. for it. But I never felt a <laughs> finger wagged in my face more <laughs> than this film. It was a bit like the sort of J.M. Barry thing is that you have to say, I believe in fairies, otherwise these fairies are going to die a terrible death. And yet when J.M. Barry does it, somehow it's charming. This film I found very hectoring, to be quite honest. There was something kind of humorless and even quite reactionary about so it. So why you have to believe in Father you Christmas? Have to you have to believe it. The Easter believe Bunny, it. you have the to Easter like them Bunny as well. And the Sandman, and they're all subordinate to the man in the moon, for some reason, who is this weird kind of godlike figure, but never, a, is, at least I don't think so, never dramatised. And the idea is they, they need an extra person on their team to combat the evil baddie, Pitch Black, who of course is a Brit, Jude Law, uh, having a sort of Richard Dawkins-like British accent, <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, and they got to have this new bad boy warrior on their team, and that's Jack Frost. Uh, and he thinks of himself as a bit of a nihilist, uh, and he realises his destiny is to be a hero and a nice person like, like them. Mm. Uh, and the one interesting thing about the film is it just does disclose an interesting backstory for Jack Frost, who appears to be a kind of ghostly figure. He appears to have had this uh, pre-mythic human existence 
which when you find out what it is, it makes sense of this destiny. There's a little bit of the Bourne movies. There's there. a, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But none of the other characters, Santa Claus and the Sandman, they don't have this backstory, at least I don't, unless, unless I've misunderstood it, but they don't have the same kind of backstory as Jack Frost does. I, I don't know. I mean, I love silly animations and the idea of an Avengers assemble of kiddie folklore figures is, is a funny idea. But my goodness, if you compare it to some of the great Pixar, if you compare it to Monsters, Inc., for example, which it resembles in some ways, it's about dreams and kids' imaginations. And that movie was done with absolutely kind of superb lightness and wit and invention and gaiety. And this is, I don't know, this is stodgy to me. It feels so stodgy, I, I couldn't get over it. It's quite a decent cast, though, Catherine, isn't it? I mean, you've got Alec Baldwin in there as the kind of Russian... Father North, Father Christmas style. Uh, Chris Pine is Jack Frost. Chris Pine is Jack Frost. Pretty yes. good. You know, yeah. I mean, Hugh Jackman is Easter Bunny, an Aussie Easter Bunny. Yeah, I mean, he, that felt very on the button casting, whereas actually Alec Baldwin felt very odd casting as this Russian. It's strange because he does it. He does this Russian accent again, not not particularly explained. Yeah. It's just it's just uh, maybe it's an idea he had in rehearsal, and they nobody could bear to tell. He also inverts his sentences, so he also things like "Let's get down to tax of brass." Those are brass, yeah. <laughs> it's really okay. weird because people. Were, I'm sure they didn't want him to do. I'm pretty sure they wanted to do his Jack Donaghy voice from Thirty Rock. They don't want him to do something because anybody could do that. Yeah. For, that's that Russian voice, to be honest with you. Uh, a big fan of Alec Baldwin, though I am. So why does this kind of thing get made? Or what? There must be something in it that we can I think enjoy. I think it's strange, isn't it? Because it's so much about the power of imagination and belief that, as Peter says, you sort of, you know, if you're told something repeatedly, you, you want to believe the opposite. And, mm. you, you know, it's too, it's too on the button. And your own imagination isn't given any space yeah. to do anything because yeah. you're just you're being forced to you're ordered to be imaginative all the time. You think, well, I'll believe in you. If you're convincing and amusing enough, I, of course I'll believe in you. I'll believe in you with the guileless innocence of a child, I assure you. But you've got to meet me halfway and do something interesting, mate. Everyone to the sleigh. Buckle up. Wear the seatbelts. That was just expression. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves this lane. And that's it for us. Sam Brooks will be back at the Forge next week after frittering away that inheritance. Thanks very much to Peter Bradshaw. Thanks to Catherine Shord. And thanks very much to you for watching. See you next week. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.